How would you like to be better at virtual training? That's what we're going to be diving in today on this edition of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. It starts right now. Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. We need a new leadership model in business today, one that values both people and results, where leaders see their role as serving instead of being served. In this podcast, my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts who help us explore different aspects of leadership. I know you'll be encouraged and inspired by what you hear, and you'll walk away with ideas and insights that will help you be the type of leaders others want to follow. Ready to get started? I'll be back at the end of the interview where I'll share what I've learned and how I'll be putting it into action. Now enjoy this installment of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Today we're talking with Cindy Huggett, the author of Virtual Training Tools and Templates, an Action Guide to Live Online Learning. Cindy, welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hey, everyone. It's so good to be here. I'm thrilled to be talking with you today about virtual training. And, you know, it couldn't be more timely. Uh, things have changed. Uh, you know, the, the thought of, uh, and, and hopefully things will normalize one of these days, but for a while, I think we're going we're gonna to have a lot of opportunities to, to learn and to teach and to communicate in a virtual setting. Cindy, why did uh, why did you feel like you wanted to put this pen to paper and and uh, and and get these tips and tricks down? Well, you know, virtual training, although it's the buzzword right now in 2020, it's actually not new. It's been around for over 20 years, and I found myself almost 20 years ago needing to move to the virtual classroom. And at that time, there really weren't any guidebooks or how to do it, and I had to figure it out on my own. And about 15 or so years ago, as I went out on my own as a consultant to help organizations do virtual, I actually wrote a book back in 2013, 2014, uh, called the Virtual Training Guidebook. And it's all about how to design and implement and deliver effective and engaging online training. This book that we're talking about today is the sequel to that one, Virtual Training Tools and Templates, because I found that people needed a guide. People needed a step-by-step how-to implement virtual learning, how to select facilitators, how to design an engaging opening, how to do uh, so many things related to virtual training. And so I partnered together uh, the virtual training guidebook and virtual training tools and templates to create a really practical manual with documents that I was using in my business, that I was partnering with organizations on what kind of tools do you need? And that's what this book is, really practical tools, templates, and uh, checklists that you can use. Yeah, when I, you know, when, as I prepare for each of these interviews, I always think about our, you know, who is going to be listening to this? And I think there's really two buckets of people, the way I see it. There's kind of the resistors, the people that 
oh, I don't know, virtual training is for me. It's, it's such a different, yeah, it's just such a learn, it's such a, it, there's a big learning curve to, to get good at. And then the other people that are doing it and want to get better. So let's kind of look at those in, in, in two different buckets if, you, if, if, if we can. So let's ad- first address the people that have been resistant to it or the ones that feel like ah, it's just not the same as being in front of a classroom or, or teaching somebody or being taught um, face-to-face. So how do you kind of help people get over that hump and, and embrace this technology? Well, here's the thing right now in 2020, it's almost as if we don't have a choice. If we want to provide learning opportunities to our audiences, to our employees, if we want to connect or meet, we're doing it virtually. And so I do a research study and have for the past couple of years, uh, finding out what are people doing with virtual training? And I just did one earlier this summer asking almost 900 respondents, hey, what's going on with virtual training? And um, almost 90% of those respondents said, we're doing more. It's it's the way now that we're meeting, that we're learning, that we're coming together. We're using the virtual classroom. And one of the comments from that survey really stood out to me. And I think it addresses the issue of someone thinking, no, we're going back in person or we're going to... Uh, return to the in-person classroom. And we might, but the comment was, you know, like many organizations, we were forced to go to virtual. And now we just realize it's the way we're doing business going forward, that all of the things that we could do in person, the connection, the things like role plays, if you're in a training class or how we learn, those things can be done and can be done really well in an online environment if we've got the right tools, got the right motivation behind it. So as we kind of dig in, and you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, you've been doing virtual training for a long time. Blanchard has been doing virtual training for a long time, but now it is the forefront. It is kind of the it is the standard way with with the, the the issues that we have around health and safety right now. It's it's a way it's going to be for a little bit. So as people get started, mm-hmm. what are some of the most important things that that they should do? Because you know the part of your book is is not so much okay virtual training is a thing. It's it's how to get better at virtual training. So what are some of the first steps that people can take to to become a better virtual trainer and communicator? It's such a great question, and it's the question we should all ask, whether you're just getting started or you've been doing virtual training for a while. And number one is to get really clear on what you mean by virtual training. And here's what we mean by that. For some organizations, if you are doing virtual training, that means we're taking the in-person experience of 15 or 20 or 25 people in a classroom and we're replicating that online. We're keeping it a small group with lots of dialogue and discussion. But for other organizations, they think of virtual training as a way to spread information to really large groups of people and they'll invite 300 people or 3,000 people to a town hall type of presentation and call that training. Now, both of those circumstances or both of those situations are perfectly fine to do in an online environment. But if you're mismatching those expectations, it's not going to be a great experience. If you have a presenter who thinks they're going to come in and and share their subject matter expertise for 30 minutes versus a presenter who thinks I'm going to come with my audience and we're going to talk and dialogue and discuss. Those are two really different types of online training. So number one, just get clear within your organization. What do we mean by the virtual classroom? What's our definition of it? 
And then number two is that it takes three things to be really successful in the online classroom. Number one, you need an interactive design, a design that is going to draw people in and keep their attention. We're competing with so many other priorities right now that if we're going to bring people together at, say, 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning for an online class, we want their attention to be in that online class. So number one, an interactive design. Number two, an engaging facilitator, a facilitator who is able to draw people in, who is able to be proficient with the technology and connect with an audience over a screen and be able to uh, lead a discussion and a dialogue and ask questions in thoughtful and thought-provoking ways. And then number three, we need prepared participants, participants who are ready to learn, who have a mindset of, this isn't just another recording I'm going to listen to, but I'm here to have a learning experience that's going to impact the way I uh, work or what I'm able to take back on the job with me. So those three things, an interactive design, an engaging facilitator, and prepared participants are what go into any successful online class. So just today, and we're talking in the morning um, on the West Coast for the just the afternoon for you on the East Coast in Raleigh, where we're talking to you. Already today, I've been on four different platforms. <laughs> I've been on Adobe Connect. I've been on Microsoft <laughs> Teams. We're on Zoom right now. And I was also uh, with a client call, uh, their own custom. They have their own internal uh, 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 mechanism. They have their own internal technology. How do you help people and, and how do you prepare knowing that uh, sometimes different technology is going to be thrown your way? How do you get good at all of it? That's a great question. And there are so many platforms. One of the benefits we've seen this year is because almost the entire world has gone to virtual, the platforms have been updating and spurring each other on. One will come out with a new feature and a few weeks later, all the others come out with a new feature. Now, I'm often and have been asked over the years quite frequently, Cindy, what is the best virtual platform to use? And I always think about driving a car. If you ask somebody, what is the best car to drive? I think, well, a car has a function of getting you from one place to another quickly. And they all have the same fundamental characteristics, but each one has its own unique feature or tool or, or something that's going to help you. And the car that might be the best in Southern California, a two-seater convertible that gets great gas mileage, isn't going to be the same car that is perfect in a Northern Michigan winter where you need four-wheel drive and heated seats and, and uh, something quite different. They're both cars. They both do the same thing, but their features make them unique. And every organization has a few unique characteristics of what they need in a virtual platform. Some need, for example, the ability to get into breakout groups and other training classes and organizations. Uh, they might need the ability to have a shared whiteboard and, and drawing and collaborating, or others may need to have a telephone versus voice over IP. And so each platform has those 
variation. So I would say you're going to want to look at your platform uh, needs, look at what you're trying to accomplish, and then match up the vendors, match up the platforms in partnership with IT and in partnership with marketing or other departments in the organization that are using a platform. So there's no one best. They're all uh, unique in their own way. And you will uh, then want to learn the platform. You know, about uh, 12 years or so ago, in 2008, um, my very first book came out, Virtual Training Basics. And I was interviewing trainers uh, who had already been doing virtual classes to say, what's the number one piece of advice you have uh, to to give? And I think Mike Abrams uh, said it best. And he said, you know, the biggest failure of an online facilitator is just not knowing the tool. And so getting to learn the tool, its features, how you can use it for interaction and engagement is where to start. And everyone has their own preference on learning. Do you want to look at a few video tutorials or would you like to just jump in and try it out? But the more more you practice with it, the easier it'll be to use that platform. It was, it's pretty interesting. I, I saw a report unrelated to what we're talking about, but just about e-commerce, how because of COVID e-commerce, the, the pace of development has expanded. It's, it's five years into the future now because it had to be. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I guess the same could probably be said about virtual training for the people that had resisted it and did a lot of face-to-face. Things have accelerated at a great pace. What have you seen in terms of, obviously the technology is, is a one big piece where, where people are in, investing a lot more into the different ways to make it more engaging, but in terms of design and people People really have to look at their design in a a different way because a face-to-face design, whether you're teaching a a class of fifth graders or you're teaching an executive class uh, virtually, you know, it's different face-to-face or virtually. So what is it when you think about being in front of a classroom virtually, what are some key differences that you have to take into account as you're designing that content? Most definitely, we are seeing changes and rapid changes. And uh, a couple of things that come to mind as I hear your question. Number one, kind of what's changing or what are some of the things that are different organizations 10 years ago or or devices, you just didn't come on camera. Either you didn't have a webcam or you didn't have the bandwidth to sustain that. But today it is pretty common to connect into a virtual event and, and be on webcam. And what that does is it dramatically increases the type of interactions or interactivity we can build into an online class. For example, just earlier Today, I was observing a class, one of my clients, and they had participants grab their mobile device and take us on a tour. Uh, I I don't want to share the um, specifics of where they were, but all of the participants were in a location that was interesting to other people. And using their mobile devices, using the camera, they were able to show us this is the environment that I am in right now. They added in that almost like a a three-dimensional tour to the virtual classroom. And because we were all on webcam, we were able to experience it like we were there with them. And one person was in Arizona and somebody else was in Chicago and somebody else was in South Carolina. But because of the webcams and using them, we were able to make use of that. So that's number one. And number two, as we think about sitting behind a device or sitting behind a computer when we're in the classroom, in person, when we're in the classroom, there's physical movement. The 
presenter, the teacher, the instructor is standing up and maybe pointing to a whiteboard. And when we get behind a screen, whether you have a webcam or not, we tend to think, well, I must sit down. I must just speak to the screen. And that creates quite a flat delivery or a flight, flat type of presentation. When we have now the ability to use tools, shared whiteboards, collaborative whiteboards, let's build a, a word cloud and collectively uh, look at patterns, or let's get into small group breakouts where we're practicing real tangible skills that uh, maybe in the past we didn't think we could do. So, Gosh, I could talk about this for another few hours, mm. but I'll boil it down to a few practical things around when we meet online. Um, I encourage people to think about, let's take that in-person experience, the human connection, the relationships, the things that we can do in person. You can do all of that online with some creativity and you know, it's so much less about the tools that we use and more about the connection, the the relationships that we can build. Uh, I'll tell virtual trainers, take the spotlight off of you and put it on your audience. Share the airtime, share the floor, have those conversations. That's more important than uh, asking somebody to type a word in chat or respond in chat. Yeah, at Blanchard, we, we talk about it. We call it, uh, you know, flipping the classroom and really ensuring that mm-hmm. the people that are that are, uh, that are learning the most are the ones, are the ones that are speaking the most are the ones that are learning the most. And that really, uh, allows for people, the participants to have a really rich experience. And, and again, mm-hmm. I think back to like some of the earliest times that I did virtual training and it was, it was, it was like a, almost like a keynote, like a lecture and mm-hmm. it wasn't that mm-hmm. interactive. And so you're right. The tools are so valuable. So as you kind of think about the things that you do, so a couple more questions I want to kind of pose to you is what are some things that you do that are just non-negotiables? I have to do this as you prepare to get in front of a, a class in a virtual setting. What are the ways that you um, get yourself ready so you know that you're going to be pr- providing them with a really strong experience? Several things. And that's such a, a key question because much of the success in the virtual classroom is the preparation in advance. I think of it like an Olympic athlete prepares for the games. I think there's some of the most prepared people on the planet. They think through every contingency, every plan. And as a facilitator, I'm thinking through who uh, who's my audience and how can I get the, to know them better? Uh, if you come to one of my classes, you will get a personal email message from me that asks you to get involved before the start time of that workshop ever begins, whether that's um, let's let's get to know each other. If we were sitting over a, a cup of coffee and introducing ourselves, tell me your introduction over email or um, please go click on this uh, document, read it and, and send me one thought that you have. There's, there's something that I'm doing to get my participants ready and to start building that relationship with the participants. The technology preparation, making sure that I have tested my laptop or my device, that I've checked my audio, that I have a backup of whatever I need. So I'm going to take that extra effort. Right now, for example, we're connected on Zoom having this session. I've got my mobile device next to me with that app already downloaded, with the link already loaded in. So that if something were to happen with this connection, with one click of a button, I could be reconnected in the next, you know, 
10 seconds and continue on. That's part of the preparation that I do. So preparation with my audience, preparation with myself, preparation of contingency plans or technology plans. And by the way, back to the book, Virtual Training Tools and Templates, there are several checklists in there that anyone can use in preparation for a virtual event. My favorite one is the Extra Prepared Virtual Trainer Checklist. And it goes through all of the things. Have you thought of this backup or this contingency or what would you do if? And it's just a checklist to help you get ready for that event. And I know this is probably a it depends sort of answer from your perspective, but you know, you've been doing this for over a decade. You you wrote your first book a decade mm-hmm. ago, more than a decade ago. And so you've been in virtual training for a long time. And so what are your viewpoints on on the effectiveness of of virtual versus uh versus face to face? And and I guess I ask that question is are there any some are there key things that, that that you find as you look at the evaluation that says, well if 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 you do X, Y, and Z, it's gonna be just as effective? So so two questions there is for people who think that it's not as effective push back on those people with your research. But then on top of that, what are the key things that need to be in place for this to be really effective as a learning transfer? Well, one of the biggest mistakes that people make when they're converting uh, from an in-person experience to online is that uh, they tend to forget what we know about what makes good learning experience. And how that shows up is taking a really interactive, uh, let's say it's a workshop for 20 people and we go to move it online and we think, well, I can put 100 people in that online classroom, so I'll invite 100 people. Or they think... Uh, that they take this really interactive uh, in-person class and they go to move it online and maybe the facilitator isn't as experienced. So the facilitator launches into lecture mode when uh, there were interactions built in, but we've removed them. When you have that type of transfer from online, uh, from in-person to online, you're not going to get the same outcomes. You're not going to have the same effects. And unfortunately, Fortunately, it's really common for that to happen. Uh, Instead, we want to think when we look at that in-person program that's getting the results, that's getting the behavior change, that's teaching a new skill or um, someone's walking away with uh, the ability to go apply something. When we move that online, we're looking for those same outcomes. We're looking for somebody who walks away with that same learning experience. And so we need to replicate the same types of activities. Uh, The role play or the uh, hands-on or the application or the discussion, whatever that is, that's the more important piece, uh, perhaps, than the lecture. You mentioned that Blanchard is doing the flip classroom. When we think about flipping, a classroom, we could take the the knowledge or what somebody can learn on their own and ask them to do that on their own before they come to the hands-on workshop type uh, of program. Or if you think, well, my learners aren't going to do that, bring them together, get them into a kickoff, and then send them to do an assignment and meet again later maybe 30 minutes later, maybe two days later, depending on your scheduling, and do the, the practice or or the, the deep dive. There's so many ways that you can build in a, a blended 
curriculum or a, a blended uh, experience that is going to have uh, your learners and attendees do those assignments. So it goes back to your question on how do we know it's successful, uh, the evaluation of it. It can be not only successful, but more successful. When you think about the opportunities that you have for your learners to go immediately apply something that they've learned. When we were in person, we might bring them to a full day workshop or a two-day workshop, and then it's a week or two before they have a chance to apply. But in a virtual setting, you can learn a task and immediately, because you're already at your desk or you're already in the midst of your work day, go use that content and then come back the next day for part two of the workshop and talk about that with your peers and with the facilitator, how you applied and what you did and what you learned. It's so powerful. And you can get uh, such great results if you've got an interactive design and engaging facilitator and participants who are prepared. So many great ideas, so many great takeaways as, as we as we begin to wrap up our conversation here today, Cindy. What is the one thing that you hope that our listeners kind of take away from from your research, from our time here today, and and all of your findings? The number one thing that I would recommend is thinking about your attendees, your audience, and keeping the focus on them. Virtual training is so much more than just an online presentation that gets recorded that someone might watch later, but instead it's about a conversation, about a dialogue, about a social experience. Let's make use of that opportunity to have a relationship, to have a dialogue and a conversation. Cindy Huggett, author of Virtual Training Tools and Templates, an action guide to online learning. Thank you so much for joining the Leader Chat. If, if our listeners want to dig a little bit deeper into you and, and, uh, and, and check you out, where would you send them online? I would take them to my website, which is cindyhuggett.com, H-U-G-G-E-T-T, or you can find me on Twitter at Cindy Hug, C-I-N-D-Y-H-U-G-G. I love it. Thank you so much for your time, and, and thank you for being a part of the Leader Chat today. Thanks, Chad. It was great talking with you. Thank you, Cindy. And thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and like to learn more and also help us grow the audience, please subscribe to the Leader Chat podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, or wherever you're listening. And please share this with your friends. The best way you can help us grow, though, is feedback. As Ken Blanchard says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So please write us a review if you haven't already. And by the way, this podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, there's even a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization. Go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. Thanks again to our guests for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard. Chad, what a timely interview with Cindy Huggett, who's such a great expert on developing live online learning opportunities. I tell you, every company, including ours, really needs this now more than ever. We used to do about 400 face-to-face sessions in our leadership training a month. Last month, because we had to completely convert during this pandemic, we did almost 600 online sessions. And so if you really want to know how to do this and what are some real good benefits of it and some good suggestions on how to do your online learning opportunities well, listen to this tape.
and share it with others. Cindy is such a great expert. Just listen to the subtitle of her book, An Action Learning Guide to Live Online Learning. Uh, And uh, so it's just great. She's an expert in this area. Listen to her. We need to transfer to online. And she says the focus is on the participants, not on you. You don't go online so you can lecture. You go online so you can involve people and they don't have to travel. You can do so many more things than we ever thought we could do. Wow. Thanks, Chad. What a fabulous session. And Cindy, uh, you're the best. Take care of yourself. God bless.